Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Inside Track. How do we know the best choices to make? And when we look back over our lives, how do we know the choices that have most influenced us from who we have been to who we are today? Join me as my guests and I explore defining moments from there to here on the inside track. I'm Debbie Hazelton. Many of us have known this person for a number of years from our community. I'm talking about my friend Deb Cook Lewis. Welcome, Deb. I have to say, you are certainly a person that I have admired for a long time, and you inspire me because you have a very strong work ethic. You get a lot done, and you're somebody who rides that high road of very strong ethics. That's what I think of when I think of you, uh, some of what I think of. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool because I, I actually really appreciate that a lot because that's actually something I would like to be known for. I think I'm also known for taking on more than I can do. <laughs> that goes beyond strong earth work ethic. That's kind of into another zone, I think. Well, I have that too, and I don't always admire that in myself. So. <laughs> no, like, why did you say yes to that? Oh, yeah, no. No. Uh, but uh-huh. yeah, and so you know, this show is about choices that we make and where we came to make those choices. And I just have always imagined that you've had some very strong people who have influenced you along the way. Mm-hmm. I think so. Certainly, my family. Everybody always wants to kind of go back to people like that, but I certainly do. Yeah. My parents are both still living. I think that's really phenomenal. They're they're um, near ninety. And I I always describe my parents as being like cats. They have nine lives, and they've used a couple of them now, Um, especially the last couple of years. My mom had cancer and uh, is in remission right now. Um, And my father has had a couple of really bad falls, and we like to tell him he's in remission from doing that now, too. But... But, but you know, they really have had some close calls, as older people often do, and and so it has made me stop and appreciate them and really realize that, that they are a gift and that it's one of those things that, you know, obviously they won't be here in a person way forever, but I know that they will always be with me, you know, in spirit um, because of who they are and because of the legacy they've given me. And I think that they helped me to form a belief in myself and, and uh, um, a belief in that work ethic thing that you mentioned. That comes so much from my parents. They... They just have such a strong sense of getting things done. What is there to do and what should we do to get it done? And um, and even now, I think they kind of work circles around all of us. You know, um, it's very hard for them to think about slowing down and they feel guilty. You know, I just don't have the energy I used to have. It's like, really? <laughs> Good grief. You know, you know uh, I love it that you appreciate them now and are getting those times to do that and really know that within within your whole being while you still have them yes. uh, there are a lot of people that don't get that opportunity mm-hmm, and absolutely. I did I got that with my mom even though we had a tough 
tough mm-hmm. relationship. We had beautiful times before she went. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. that's good. Yeah, I think that is great. And I, I would just encourage anyone who can to, um, you know, who still has that opportunity that even if things are rough, if you can find some good in it and can find some way to, you know, approach it. I'm not trying to at all minimize the challenges of having a family. Um, I, I certainly could talk about that. I mean, you know, there there is that. And, and I don't want to say, well, it was just this wonderful Pollyanna experience. It was not. But I think that that to sort of kind of get past that stuff as much as you can and say, you know, was the intent good? I mean, did people do the best they had for what they, you know, did the best they could for what they had, that kind of thing? Um, And I think if you can believe that about people, um, even if you don't agree with everything or don't like everything or whatever, I, I think it just moves the whole thing along so much better. I do, too. I do, too, now. But yeah. I didn't always. And it sounds <laughs> oh, to me sure. like you didn't always. Can, oh, you, no, give, no. can no. you give us a sliver of some of what was challenging before you got to this place? Yeah, I think one of the most challenging things for me, um, I, was, um, I was a single person until um, really late. I mean, um, Rick and I have only been married like 10 years. So, um, and it's my first marriage. So, you know, um, that means I was in my mid 50s when I, when I got married. And um, so because I had been single all this time, I, I think I tended to depend on my parents in some ways that maybe were not usual or were not really appropriate for the age I was. And so making that break and making it in a way that worked for all of us um, was important to me and something I did actually before I got married. I mean, it didn't take marriage to do that. That would have been even harder, I think. But but something that I did, but it didn't do as early as I probably could have and should have and would tell any encourage anyone else to do. Um, so I think that I... You know, my parents have always been there for all of us. And my sister and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. And she doesn't think that they did what they did for me, particularly because I was blind or because I was single or because anything. They just did it because it was there to do, you know, that work work thing. And, and, and somebody should. So I think the whole thing um, for me was that it was very hard to become my own person in some ways and to make those separations from them yeah from from them did they and when you say they did a lot for you or i mean were they if i needed to go somewhere i mean they came and took me even if it wasn't particularly convenient to do that Mm -hmm. i mean not if it totally was inconvenient but i mean i live about 40 miles from them and they Mm -hmm. um well, the most recent example, and I really appreciated this. This was just so kind, and I didn't see this as out of bounds at all. But um, a few months ago, I I injured my toe. Someone stepped on it really, oh. really hard, and they broke the oh. nail. The nail came out. It was all horrible, and my toe was all swollen. It was all horrible. And I said, I'm going to have to go to urgent care, but I have no idea where I'm going when I get there or anything about it, and I can hardly walk. And my father was like, well, we'll come and take you there. You know, of course we will. 
And so they drove up here. It's 40 miles in terrible traffic. And we went to the urgent care place and my father got lost and, and it was all very hard. And I said, oh, we may not do this again. But, um, but you know, it was, I really did appreciate them because mm-hmm. it was hard to walk all that way. And it was hard to find the place and all these things that you would want someone to do. But sure. Maybe not them driving 40 mm-hmm. miles, you know. And, yeah, you know, so, sure. So in this case, I think it was totally great and fine, and I'm very thankful they did. But I think I let them do it too much, you know, for, for many years. And, yeah. and then they had too much, especially from my mom. I think she had too much um, ability to, to sort of say, well, you know, uh, we sort of are entitled to give you all of our opinions about Whoa. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe not, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's all that challenge that I think people face. And I don't think it was abnormal or terrible. But one of the things that I, I I often said about this whole period of my life was that I think I skipped adolescence in some ways, mm-hmm. you know. I was, I was not a problem. And then I think I had my adolescence in my um, late 40s and early 50s. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> much harder, much harder. Yeah. And so, you know, I, we came through it. I think we did really well. I feel really good about it. Um, I think it's all okay. I would encourage absolutely anybody to do differently than I don't do as I did and do as I say. <laughs> <laughs> all of that, all of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess what I wonder is I get the sense that even though they did a lot for you they expected you to do a lot oh yeah they had very high expectations Mm -hmm. and I think I see that as one of the challenges that so many people face is that somebody whether it's your parents or whether it's your teachers or you know a grandparent or some some figure in your life hopefully probably an adult figure for this for kids but but that basically somehow you need somebody to tell you that we expect you to to more or less succeed i mean we Mm -hmm. we're not sure what it will be at or whether it's everything or we may misjudge that a little bit we may do something for you that we shouldn't or we may not do something for you that we should but fundamentally we do expect eventually that you can um you know take care of us or whatever is called for you know that Mm -hmm. that gonna be on your own you're not gonna stay here and my father was always so clear um when we finished high school it's like you are not all staying here no you're not (laughs) my mother one day I remember my mother was talking about I was talking about moving out and I was like well you know I'm kind of scared my mom's like well you know if it doesn't work you can move back anytime no you can't he (laughs) said and and you knew that they were both not quite accurate yeah you know no, you couldn't just move back. And no, you know, y- y- it wasn't that you could never, you know. So, but it was just a very funny conversation because she was like, well, you can come back anytime. No, you can't. <laughs> but, you know, what impresses me is that, you know, there are some people and some people who are blind who were yeah. given the sense of we expect great things from you and we believe you know almost like we believe you can do anything but yeah. they don't seem to get some of the grounding that you have yeah yeah you are a person who thinks very critically and I don't mean in a critical way but I mean you know how to do critical thinking evaluative thinking and even for you to hear those split conversations and be able to know within you that 
wait yeah. a minute, that's not yeah. all there is. Yeah. We, you learn to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and I don't know, you know, I think part of that comes from them because I think they, they do that a lot. And mm-hmm. I think some of that comes from just other people who I admired and said, gee, I'd like to have that. I'd like to know how to do that and figure that out. But I think one of the things that so many parents do, and I think my parents did this, but they didn't they didn't mean it badly and i think we got it straightened out somewhere along the way but they you know there's that that piece of the succeed and you'll have to succeed at everything and you'll have to be better at everything than everyone else mm-hmm. because if you don't you won't get anything and you know there's a piece of that that's that's true in a sense i mean right. It's not it's it's not true in the literal um, mm-hmm. because no one succeeds at everything right. and 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 if you do you're going to be so egotistical and difficult to deal with that uh, you haven't succeeded at that so you know there's <laughs> there's that whole piece but but I do think that one of the things that that does happen to a lot of people is some confusion about that that piece that says people are not going to believe in you the way we do and you're going to spend more time than you should having to prove yourself so when you are doing something that you can do well you know sometimes to get an equal opportunity with it you'll have to actually do it better and that's what that means Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's not and it's not because you have to be better at everybody and knock everybody down it's because (laughs) people don't have the expectations Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to rise far enough above them to get their attention well i think like I said, I think, unfortunately, that is in some conditions and under some circumstances, um, that is going to be more or, or less true for for different people. And so I really, um, you know, that's a tough one. And my parents and I had a really hard time, I think, with that one at different points. And... Um, and I and we did also work through that pretty well. I think it's okay, but but I think that's one of the ones that people are really challenged by, and that we certainly were too. It's great though that you say you had a hard time with it. It sounds like you were able to talk about it. You were able to go back and forth on some of those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like I just would like to be mediocre at this. Mm-hmm. In fact, I kind of put it that way. I said I'm gonna t- I'm gonna go out for um oh some kind of high school sport. I forgot what it was. I'm gonna do this. I plan to be mediocre. My mother okay. was like, really? What about that? You know, and I, <laughs> why you should never set your goal there. You know, and I said, well. Oh, I'm not, but I just know that's how it's going to be, you know, and it was, you know, and so that was all right. But I think there is something to that for a lot of people. Well, maybe just to be able to be uh, mediocre in a way that says it's not about competition. It's about I want to do this just to enjoy it. Yeah, but I think a lot of us um, as blind kids or blind teenagers or whatever, I think a lot of us were set up to be really competitive with Mm -hmm. each other bad way mm-hmm. and I was very much I was very much guilty on that score and and you know always trying to figure out how to get to the top of the pecking order mm-hmm. and, uh, I think that was one of those things that came to me that wasn't useful and that later I think I have kind of you know hopefully moved off of um but, you know, that's always one of those kind of worries because what you have that in your nature. And I am a competitive nature anyway. And well, you're so, a strong leader. And people could sometimes, people yes. don't always know how to take that in anybody. 
who's sure, a strong sure. leader. I mean, sure. yeah. you walk in to something yeah. and you see right away mentally like, well, this and that and this and that, yeah. and, you yeah. know, and people don't always have that. And so sometimes yeah. they don't take to that. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I'm sure that's still, you know, that's a balance. That's just yeah. a and I think part of it is learning to wait for people to catch up or learning to wait so that they can also have their ideas, which might be better than yours. And so mm-hmm. just because you have ideas quickly doesn't miss necessarily mean they are the best ideas or the only ideas, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so so part of it is, you know, trying to learn to develop a different strategy. But my family is all very much that way. So I come by yeah. that. I come by that very naturally. That's what and, I figured. <laughs> and yeah. we all, when we're having a discussion, it's more like a debate and a yelling match. And it's not because anybody is mad at anybody, um, but everybody is uh, talking on top of each other and da, 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 and all this stuff is coming out. And then all of a sudden, it's like somebody calls time, time. Okay, this is what we're doing. And you're off doing it, you know, and everybody has negotiated, but it's negotiating in a frenzy, which yeah. is... Not exactly everyone's style, um, but it is the style that has been pervasive, you know, yeah. in my family. Yeah. So you have to learn not to carry those things everywhere you go. And there that's a hard go. one for any of us to learn. Sure, sure. And you know, the same with not carrying the, you know, for any who carry the grudges or the yeah. uh, the yeah. victim role, you know, which that's doesn't right. sound like that's you. No, yeah. no, not not too much. I don't think. I hope. I mean, no, I don't sense I think that we all fall into that at some mm-hmm. level. You know, it's like that shouldn't be the norm. But you also seem to be one, and I've always admired this, who is very methodical with getting things done. Now, you know, Rick may say, oh, well, wait, you know, but I see you as a very methodical person. You know how to take a task and see it through from beginning to end. And those are great skills that I don't think everyone has. Yeah, I like to um, figure out the sequence of things and to kind of, I mean, I do like plans. My story about that, this is so me. I mean, nobody else wants to do this. When I was a kid, um, it was summer vacation and there wasn't, um, there was going to be quite a few weeks of sort of nothing in particular to do. Camp would happen sometime or something and some other summer traditions we had would happen, but they weren't going to be happening for maybe a month. So what am I going to do? I know I'm going to create a schedule. I am going to create a schedule. I'm going to write it all out in Braille, put it on paper. I'm going to um, allocate times of the day for everything I should be doing. So I need to ride my stationary bike at some point. I need to read my library book. I need to do all these things. So I made a list of all the things I thought you should do, and then I began to schedule them out based on when I thought they would work. And I actually, of course, needed to schedule in meals. Oh, well, yeah? the the problem with scheduling meals was that I had not consulted with anybody about this. So, you know, breakfast, yes, no problem. Lunch, no problem. You can eat that whenever you want to. I mean, my family has never, you know, been formal about eating breakfast and lunch. But we usually come to the dinner table together, you know, when I was growing up, and unless there was a reason. And if there was, there was no problem. But but if, if everybody was there, the expectation is you ate at the same time. And, well, I picked a time. 
And, you know, that time wasn't always working. <laughs> and it was always a big problem. It's like, well, we're going to be eating about a half hour later tonight. But I'll be roller skating then, I said. <laughs> I can't eat then. Well, why don't you change it for today? But I've already written it down. And, of course, in those days, Real. we didn't have, like, note takers, yeah. so you couldn't just change it like you could now. You know, I was like, sure, I'll edit that in my oh. word processor. We didn't have any word processor. This was 1963. So, you know. What can I say? I mean, Management that, conflicts already. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was just totally, totally, um, totally into this. And I had thought I had done such a wonderful job of organizing and planning my summer so it would be productive. But it hadn't taken into account anybody else's summer. <laughs> Or just the daily <laughs> changes and ebbs and flows yes. of life, you know. Oh, that's so. funny. Oh my! My gosh. mom was like, "Well, maybe you should just take dinner off the schedule, and we'll just eat it whenever we do, and you'll just work your schedule around it." Oh. Like, I can't take dinner off the schedule. Oh man! <laughs> Gotta happen every day. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Oh, it man. was so it was so funny, and I re- I remember just I. Uh, I've thought about that over the years, and I thought, yeah, that is, that is, that was me in in that age, you know, where you just sort of hang out and do, you know, whatever you think, you know, mm-hmm. that's what basically the way kids are, and so it left to my natural, you know, thing. Um, this is what I would have done. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Now, mm-hmm. are, you, are you the oldest? I am. That's what sure. I, I have two okay. younger sisters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and and I could see that. I could see you as the older sister. I mean, you just are very much a leader, but maybe they are too. Are they also? Um, in their own different in in different ways. Um, my one sister and I are actually pretty similar. I would say that my other sister is not too similar to the two of us. Mm-hmm. So um, this the middle sister has a very different kind of view of life and uh-huh. different. <laughs> whatever you know so um that, that that is unique i mean it but it's hers and um and so it you know but my youngest sister and i are actually i, I often sort of see her you know what things she's doing as things i maybe mm-hmm. did maybe still do but but maybe sometimes a little bit more she's a little bit more because she's quite a, she's like 12 years younger than i am so probably has a little bit more of that you know in that place where she's at but um um and she was raised more as an only child because of the difference in age so i don't think she had to negotiate if she, probably if she wanted to make a probably if she wanted to make a schedule they'd have eaten dinner when she wanted to <laughs> yeah. now how much younger is she she's 12 years younger than okay. i am okay. and then my sister is two years younger yeah and are you the only one that's blind Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. What other things come to mind as landmark kinds of things that have influenced your choices? Well, I have a very strong faith in God. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a Christian, and I and I think that that has shaped. Obviously, I would hope that has shaped yeah. a lot of my thinking over time sure. and sure. my responses to things. And um, giving you and, a lot of strength too. Huh? Yeah. You know, and going through some hard times and different things, I think that's been important. So it is important to me. Um, I think other things um, that have sort of shaped me, I had the experience of 
caring for my best friend going through hospice and dying of uh, brain cancer. Um, it's actually the same brain cancer that uh, John McCain, uh, Senator oh McCain, uh, has. It's exactly the same wow. cancer. They, they were describing um, the challenges of his initial surgery and why they couldn't get all the cancer. And, and, and they used all the same words that um, we heard. And I'm like, yep, it's the same oh thing, you know. Oh. Um, and had the same name and everything. So, yeah, so, you know, you hear about people who have that, and it's a very aggressive form of brain cancer. And had this for three years and stayed with us. And for me, it was a very maturing thing. It was a lot of work to, to do the care. That was one thing. But, um, but I think the bigger thing was that it was very maturing for me. I mean, it was, it was kind of the... I'd, I'd had um, adults, um, older people um, die, uh, you know, I mean, l- older relatives, and I'd had a, a friend, a coworker, who had um, been killed very suddenly in a car accident. But, um, you know, so it wasn't that I hadn't ever thought about, about um, death or thought about all of that challenge. But I think because we did this in slow motion, you yeah. know, because it took us so long, um, I think um, that that it gave me a lot of time to think about what I valued and a lot of time to think about, you know, what we need and um, what we should be doing and relationships and, um, you know, making sure that you take care of things and um, a lot of things like that, that that she was working through and and doing a really good job with, I think. But still, it's all stuff to, to think about. I will never forget the day that we... Um, we moved her from our home to an adult family home because we could not um, manage the care really in mm-hmm. home anymore. And that was very difficult, but it was something that we were all in agreement and she understood and was in agreement with and everything. And so the thing that struck me was um, we had to move her in an ambulance um, and that was okay. And they came to get her and um, they were they were carrying her out and down the stairs and that was fine and I was following because I was going to ride in the ambulance um, you know other people that were here were going to come over in the car but was going to ride with her mm-hmm. to the home so that's fine and um, and that would be memorable but the thing that struck me was that I was carrying in my arms and and it was not heavy and it was not full the box of the things that she would be needing and taking to the home Mm-hmm. Now, we would have brought her anything in the world that she needed or wanted. So it wasn't that we had decided to narrow this down. Right. But when we really came down to it, we knew what she was going to use there. And it was very little. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they had recommended, don't bring anything that you don't need. And, of course, we always – it was close, so we could always bring more. It wasn't that. And, but we never really did bring too much more. So the point being that, you know, when it's all said and done, here's what you've got – and, you know, we, we spend all this energy amassing stuff and doing stuff and, you know, and, and I'm a big stuff person, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I really am. And, um, um, and here we are and, and I'm going to take her to this place and I have this cardboard box. I mean, because that's what, how they said to do it. I had this cardboard box of stuff and it was all basic life stuff, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and that's what she was taking, you know. 
when you thought about all this other stuff in the world that that was strewn between her condo and our house, um, you know, mm. it's like, no, we're not taking any of that stuff. And so, you know, it just really helped me think about how What's basic important. life is, what is important, yeah. what is what mm. is what is coming, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that changed. I mean, it's kind of like um, a coworker of mine came back from his first trip to a third world country and he was talking about things that are like this too it's like you know how little can you get by on and different things and he said you know we don't have any idea and I think this was the same thing you know for me Mm -hmm. I had Mm -hmm. no idea what this would really look like even though I could intellectualize it and talk about it no idea Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah. that is huge you mm-hmm. know, just to go through and I remember you talking about the advocacy and the mm-hmm. ways that you worked with her to respect what it was she needed and wanted and how you mm-hmm. could express that and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it, we have a lot of challenges with that and and I learned a lot about how all, all the things we should do differently when we're into that situation oh, if I ever have to do it again uh, there are a bunch of things that need to be different because there were things that could have been so much easier had we known. And right. it wasn't, it was, everybody was doing the best they could. Well, but, and you were new with Rick there and oh, yeah, all yeah. kinds yeah. of things. Oh, all and, kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. A lot of amazing things. So, yeah. And, and people go through these things. You know, my mom did this with her mom and different, different people do these things. And I think, I think it's something that, well, I don't think everybody should do it. I think if you have the opportunity and it works for you, you, mm-hmm. you should. Because it, you will just learn so, so much. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I tell people all the time, and I know you know, there's so much, no matter what you know, no matter how you prepare, when that person actually goes, the mm-hmm. grief is just, oh, it's just. I don't remember the whole first year mm-hmm. after she was gone. And I yeah. thought I was really, you're right. I thought I was pretty prepared. And I think I was. Yeah. Um, and I, in, and in many senses, there was a real sense of relief um, mm-hmm. because she'd suffered, and you don't yeah. want people to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I know that it was all right. But, but I actually remember very, very little about that whole first mm-hmm. year. I remember snatches of things and definitely some events. And I, you know, I carried on. I doubt that people really knew I was having, you know, that much trouble. But, but I. There's a lot of that whole period. I remember most of the time pretty vividly, you know, while she was ill. I mean, not every day, but I remember, yeah. you know, significant events of it. But that year, it's like I only remember a couple of highlight points and, and for about a year, just almost a year to the day. You talked. And then it just kind of cleared up. You talked on the air about some of the hard times and you wrote mm-hmm. me uh, mm-hmm. a little bit every now mm-hmm. and then just saying that it was really hard but yeah but there was a lot of it I'm sure that just stayed very private and yeah you know yeah no but we work just, through these things yeah. and you're better for it I'm glad I could do it well you, you know did it wonderful. I'm, glad I, I'm glad I could it was it was a very it was a real privilege to get to have that experience and to go through it with her 
And I'm not that I necessarily want to do it again. In fact, if somebody, you know, were to come now and say, ah, oh, you got to do this again. I'm like, oh, no, I know what this mm-hmm. looks like now. <laughs> I'm not so sure. My mom says it's kind of something everybody can usually manage to do once. Mm-hmm. And that if you are pushed into it again, you need a lot more help because you do know too much. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're taking it really day by day, you, you do. You just take it day mm-hmm. by day. When you mm-hmm. know what the future might look like, it's like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this yeah. is all part of your, what I think you you give to people in terms of a horizon or wisdom, uh, you know, maybe maybe absolute advice at times, but also just a um, kind of a a horizon that you bring you bring yeah. to your to your work, and it's your work is another thing that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me. How many times <laughs> did you think that you were gonna not still be there, and many? Oh, my- Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That that's always been one of those. Finally, we're getting to the fact that I won't be there. I'm going to retire. But, you know, um, but it's kind of like it's always been kind of an interesting ebb and flow. But I've enjoyed um, I've enjoyed my work. I've enjoyed the really tremendous variety of it. I've enjoyed the fact that we just hired a person who is going to take a significant amount of my work over and she's really great. I'm really excited about her and everything. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the fact that she was leaving a perfectly good job that she also liked. I said, what is the thing that would, I mean, we're going to, we were going to pay her a tiny bit more just to make it work. I mean, you know, because you should, but, but really, you know, we didn't have, we don't have a lot to offer. Our, our, our work environment is, is rather um, uh, unstable. You know, we, we are kind of funded as we go and a lot of things. So she's leaving a very permanent, very stable position for this um, with a tiny bit more money, but not enough to risk it all, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So Anyway, um, so I said to her during the interview, I said, why, why do you want to do this? Because I think that really matters. Mm-hmm. So I said, why, why do you want to do this? And so she said, well, she said, um, I asked you once why you did. Because, you know, I used to have basically her job where she is. And she said, I asked you once why you did. And she said, you said that it's because I went from a job that would always be there and always um, be interesting and good and safe to something that would be ever what I made it. Mm -hmm. And she said, I thought at the time, I really like that. And if they ever have an opening that works for me, (laughs) she said, I never thought it would be necessarily yours. But she said, if I, if they ever do, you know, expand or whatever they do, if they ever have something, I'd, I'd like to at least think about whether I could make it work. And so, you know, we hired That's her. great. And she will make it work. I mean, she's already thinking in the right directions. Mm-hmm. And she's going to do some great things that I never got around to doing. So why not? I mean, that's all good. And it but, sounds like it's you know, feeling good to you to be thinking about letting go of it. Well, I think we've done. I uh, My employer has been amazing. When they really determined that I was serious, which was when I began counting the weeks, because I couldn't get their attention. I kept saying, I'm going to retire at the end of March of 2018, I'm going to retire at the end of, oh, yeah, you've been saying that since, you know, yeah. whatever. So finally, I said, I'm going to be retiring. And I think it was 88 weeks when I started. I'm going to be retiring in 88 weeks. 88 weeks. Oh, wow. Hmm. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm going to be retiring in 86 weeks, I said. So I didn't change the number of weeks. And I had to go to the calendar periodically and recount them because I couldn't always remember. But I was like, I better be ready. So, oh you know, 
So finally, when we got to about 60 weeks, they said, well, we're going to have to have a transition plan. I said, oh, finally, guys, because I had been saying we need a transition plan. You had that scheduled, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, yes, I did. And it it was supposed to have started about 10 weeks earlier, you know, so I was a little worried about this. But they jumped into pretty high gear, and they said, well, we need to kind of catch up with the rest of your schedule. And um, so they jumped into pretty high gear and um, hired – uh, made some decisions about existing people and hired um, an, a, the person that we talked about a few minutes ago. And um, one person, when she found out I was going to be that serious, actually went and got another job because she said, they've always told me I was going to get big chunks of your job and I never wanted it. And here it's coming and I'm leaving. And it was all straight up and honest and everybody was like, yay. And and so, you know, and she got what she needed and we got what we needed. <clears throat> and so, which was the flexibility to do something different. Mm-hmm. And so it all, um, so it's coming together. And so while I personally feel the egotistical part of me, you know, sort of says, I don't, they've got to miss me. How am I going to make them miss me, you know? <laughs> so there's that. But really, the the practical part of me says, no, I want to close every loophole here that I can. I want to account for everything. Mm-hmm. They're either going to do it and they have a plan for how they will, or they're going to no longer do it because we've taken on different things that match us. And when people have left or done other things, we have changed those things too. So it's not new. It's not, it's not the first time. So with everything I'm doing... Um, you know, we're, we're going to be doing that. And so it's interesting because I got a call yesterday from somebody who wants us to do something that we've done for a long time, some work and, you know, the kind of work. And it's a bit contingent on me and we haven't made a plan for that. And so I just told him, I said, well, you know, I'm going to take this back and run it by people in my office. We always have said yes to this work. But because of some changes, one of which is that I'm leaving, mm-hmm. um, I'm not really clear if we're able to say yes to this. So I, I need to go and find out and I will let you know, you know. So um, I'm trying really hard not to set them up for a bunch of stuff that I leave. Oh, by the way, here's a bunch of stuff that isn't <laughs> allocated anywhere. And, bing. and, you know, you can't avoid if there's something. But I'm basically not taking on any new projects. I'm, I'm pretty much finishing things. Great. And so um, the fact that they've been able and willing and eager to have it work that way has been, I think, really, really marvelous. Yeah. I love it. And what are you looking forward to? Not working. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually looking forward to working differently. I, I would still like to have some paid employment if I can find something. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't have to have, but it would be great to. And so I'm, but I think I would like to do something di- either very different than I've always done or something that I would just really like, you know, mm-hmm. if there's something out of what I'm doing when I leave that, you know, would be just fun. Um, then I'm I'm fine with that. But I want to have fun. I want to um, not um, have anything that's stressful, Good. other than stress that I like. You know, if it's yeah. if it's stressful because I created the stress, that's fine. <laughs> but um, but really, I don't want to um, have all the. You know, I, I want a lot more flexibility, and um, I want time to just kind of 
you know, experiment and, and do things. And, um, you know, probably I'll be volunteering for some things mm-hmm. and um, I, because I always do and I want to. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying the things I'm doing with the Board of Publications for ACB. Um, Ron would really love it if I would turn in the minutes sooner. So, you know, maybe <laughs> when I'm retired, I can get, I do the minutes as secretary. Maybe I can turn my minutes in faster, you know. So, um, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, you know, I think that it will be great to have um, some different opportunities. I used to say I was going to go to work at the Apple store because it's near my house. But um, I'm probably not going to do that. I, I've decided that's not quite the right atmosphere for me. So, But but I'm going to do something. I just don't know what yet. And I've decided to wait till a little closer to worry about it because I'm not sure where we'll physically be. With my parents having some increased health problems, we may um, be down there more or something for a while. And so, you know... I just kind of want to play all that by ear. So I haven't made any tentative decisions. You had talked about moving closer to one of your sisters. Is she down there near them? She um, is right now because she's helping them, but she eventually won't be. So whether we do something like that temporarily, too, is at at this point up for grabs. So temporarily, Um, you're not talking so much now about a total... Big move. Oh, no, oh, no, no. We will move. We, we're okay. not going to stay here. Um, okay. It's the city is just getting too wild. Mm. And so I definitely don't want to stay here. I think the question just is how quickly and how far and where and do we need to move once or twice or, you know, how do we how do we get all this done? So um, we need to move though. Well, for the very first time, I and probably some others got to hear you playing the piano. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, at ACB, so <laughs> yeah. that was that was a, a really treat. strange piano. It was um, was it? it was basically an electric, you know, piano, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But it had a very, very deep um, key um, action, and so when oh, you would wow. press the keys, oh. they went and went and went and went. It was Whoa. like, oh no, where's the key? and so and so it was like, and and you didn't, of course, get any opportunity to come and like try it out uh-huh. ahead. So I was like. Oh, this mm. is actually really hard to do. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, it was really funny. Yeah, I I had thought I heard one time that you played, but I never <laughs> really knew much about that. And do you also sing? Um, well, I I do, but I don't usually sing to my playing. I usually okay. sing in other settings mm-hmm. and and I don't mm-hmm. usually accompany myself. I have actually always had a hard time doing that. Okay. So I usually get someone else to do that if I'm going to mm-hmm. sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like singing, yeah. But I just, I usually do them separate. So um, this was the playing <clears throat> the playing time because poor Janet had sent out uh, maybe three or four notices asking, could somebody please sign up for the... <laughs> um, for the piano times, and I had never done that, you know, and I was like, well, why couldn't you do that? So <laughs> I, I wrote to her, and I was a little picky about when I could do it because of some of the rest of my schedule. So I, I, I said, I, this just may not work for you. And she's like, oh, no, it works. <laughs> so um, so that worked out fine, and I enjoyed it a lot. So I'll probably be willing to do it again. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I want to go to a different topic. One time you said on your Saturday morning oldie show, you said mm-hmm. that you were run over or hit by mm-hmm. a car. Mm-hmm. I was um, run over by a milk truck when I was seven. Gosh. 
And basically, this was in our yard, and um, and he was, you know, delivering. And um, my parents had always said, if there was a vehicle in the driveway, you shouldn't be on the driveway. So I wasn't. I was on the grass. But instead of using our turnaround, he backed up. So he got me. And and I, you know, um, I thought I was doing fine just to be. I always thought cars went forward. So I didn't know they. I mean, and they weren't supposed yeah. to back the lawn anyway but aside from that i i really had more of a sense of cars go forward so mm-hmm. um unless they're backing out of the garage and this isn't the garage <laughs> so you know so i was waiting for him to leave so i could continue to ride my bike in the driveway and um but i couldn't ride it in the bu- driveway while he was there that was against the rules so um and it was one i understood and so then when he um he backed up his car truck he didn't see me you know i was in the blind spot in the mirror and he didn't see me and he backed right over my bike and me he crushed the um my pelvis was crushed my my bladder my kidneys all of that internal central that uh, right along the area of your pelvis every bit of it was just completely um smashed and so and of course they had internal bleeding and so the long and the short of it was that my mom and the milkman who was a totally responsible person i mean aside from doing this he really he didn't like panic or any i mean he was very stressed but he didn't panic he helped and so they basically got me to the er and got me admitted to the hospital and and all of that, and and they performed um, emergency surgery that night. They told my parents that I might not make it, mm. understandably, and mm. also that if I did make it, that I would probably have pretty extensive uh, musculoskeletal damage, and you know potentially pretty extensive organ damage too. So. Um, <clears throat> the long and the short of it was that I did make it. I do have some structural damage. Mm-hmm. When they examined me, they immediately, you know, if you're t- if you're doing like a whole musculoskeletal exam, you put me on the table, they're like, what happened to you? you oh, know? my gosh. <laughs> you know, so they can tell right away oh. that things are different. But really, there was an amazing level of healing and amazing level of surgical skill applied wow. and, and, and all of that. And so I do have some residual problems. And at some point, I, the goal in my whole thing in terms of PT or anything is to keep me mobile as long as possible. Because there is a possibility that eventually, you know, I'll have more difficulty than I do. But I actually have pretty good walking stamina. My dog has had, my guide dog has had some specialized training Mm -hmm. to offset my gait and balance and things. But, you know, it's not a significant thing. I mean, they were able to do it with me present, but she Mm -hmm. did have some specialized training. And actually, she got some. My other dogs didn't get it. They just got all walked on till they got it Aww. right. <laughs> but she's... she actually does know the difference. Oh, that's great. She sounds so, like she's been working out really well. Yeah, she is a good dog. My kidney function has been really good for years. Mm-hmm. Um, they watch it because, mm-hmm. you know, um, they were damaged and they were both damaged. So mm-hmm. it's like you never know. Mm-hmm. But... Um, my hips are probably my biggest um, longer range problem. I am not a candidate for a hip replacement 
because of the nature of the damage. And I don't exactly know how to describe it, although it's been described to me. I don't really explain it very well. But basically, they don't expect to to do a, you know, like hip replacement mm-hmm. surgery. So um, they're trying to um, kind of keep everything um, well, as... It sounds like if they were so crushed, as, maybe they... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they said they can't. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, um, I think wow. the infrastructure isn't right or so. I'm not quite sure. That's remarkable. Anyway, I've heard that more than once. I mean, they've, all, yeah. they've always said that consistent, consistently. Mm-hmm. And in fact, as recently as maybe 18 months ago when I was in PT, I said, well, can I have a like hip replacement eventually if this you know gets worse? And they're mm-hmm. like, uh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. They still say that. Yeah. 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 What a huge thing to go through, though. I mean, yeah. just. It's a huge thing for my parents. You know, I yeah. think they Mm-hmm. talk about their their sort of life-changing mm-hmm. things you know that was not something that they expected at all so um mm-hmm. you know, and i remember that and i remember this is sort of a funny thing that relates back to the beginning conversation we had about these things i i might i wanted to go horseback riding this was a two or th- no, three or four years after the accident the mm-hmm. first couple years i wasn't walking so mm-hmm. didn't matter. but eventually you know so now i wanted to go mm-hmm. horseback riding and um, and my doctor said that I um, couldn't go horseback riding yet. And so, and he explained that, that, you know, he was concerned about my getting onto and off the horse and he mm-hmm. was concerned about my balance on the horse. And, and he, you know, he was, he was very good. I mean, he wanted me to do things. So it wasn't that, but he just said, no, nah, I'd really like to wait another year or so about this. So we told the horseback riding that I couldn't come. And they were like, oh, so relieved about the fact that they weren't going to be getting a blind person for horseback riding. <laughs> and that my parents had kind of seen the light on this. And my parents were like, oh, boy. You know, because they, it was difficult to get through the difference between the fact that I wasn't going to go horseback riding. The bottom line was no go. But the reason was not because I was blind. Right. The reason because I had a pretty significant physical limitation that was going to prevent horseback riding for a while. You know, so, but it was always difficult to keep those things from being mixed together. And I'm sure that's mm-hmm. true for people oh, yeah. with kind of multiple um, mm-hmm. disability situation is, no, blind people do that, but blind people with the level of physical damage that you have don't do that right now, you know, so. Um, so did you go later? Oh, yeah. I went later. That yeah. was fun. And my parents had horses later, and I rode them and oh. did everything with them, took care of them, and all that. It was oh, fun. See, look, I but, love this. But see, I didn't, you know, at the time, you know, I was like, oh, I have to go, you know. But no, they were like, no, you can't, you can't do it right now. But even the particular doctor, because they were kind of checking, making sure with him, now you're saying this because of that, right? You know, and, and he was like, yeah, I'm not saying this is forever. Mm-hmm. Right. This is later, you know. But so. again, I love the multiple perspectives that have been part of your your yeah. experience and your way of sort of evaluating and seeing and being in the world. Because mm-hmm. I think all of that has gone a long way to bring what you bring to evaluating situations and yeah. and helping others and teaching yeah. and all that. Yeah, I think so, and I and I feel really fortunate to have you know uh, that perspective a lot of the time. Yeah. Was someone in your family in radio? Did I also hear 
Was there some? Um, no, nobody formally was. My dad did some things with radio, actually, when I was a young kid. He and a friend um, had a weekly radio broadcast that they did on our local, little local station. Mm-hmm. And um, they were on every Monday night at 7 p.m. And they pre-recorded <laughs> it, and they had a lot of challenges. They recorded it. I always found this very fascinating. They recorded it on open reel tape, and they did tons and tons of splicing to try to get it right. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I was always like, let's just try to get it right the first time, and then we wouldn't have to splice <laughs> yeah. all this. You know, so, Let me show you guys how to do it. You know. Yeah. So eventually, um, I actually did become part of what they were doing because you know, I was like in the course of that, and so that was, that was all kind of fun. Um, but they did they did that, and then I actually took a radio course in high school that was just part of high school um, mm-hmm. available because our basketball uh, coach and basketball radio announcer oh and football I just guess he did football and basketball for the high school and you know radio stuff and so he taught a class taught a radio class and so I took that and we as as part of that. Um, worked at a um, a different radio station than the one my parent my father had been on, but equally small, actually smaller. They were pretty low budget, so they were glad to get student workers. Oh, yeah. And we we were the weekend. Um, we did all the weekend um, weekend stuff there. So I I actually did learn to use most of the equipment and learned to you know do and I and I was actually not too much on air i i did some things on air but mostly i did production and um and some other kinds of things um that was in the days when you know girls didn't do much really on air so you know i couldn't be i couldn't you know be a disc jockey and play music that was not that was just not done you know so it was never really an issue about whether a blind person could do that in fact the station owner had a um, a niece who was blind, so he had fairly reasonable and and he had fairly reasonable expectations about that stuff. And I was very included and very expected. But you know, being a female, there was definitely kind of a glass ceiling about that. And so it was like, well, you can you can you know read commercials. Well, I want to do something more interesting than that, you know. So then I went into doing the production, which girls usually also didn't do. But at least that you didn't know whether a girl had produced you or not, so they didn't have to. I admit wonder it. if some of the other things helped you to that you had to learn to kind of advocate and and I wonder if that helped you to kind of keep pushing the envelope when. It yeah. Came to I, oh yeah. Oh stuff. yeah. Oh yeah. I think. I think. I think so. I mean, I. Uh, you know, I think there were a lot of interesting, interesting issues um, with that, particularly in high school. I um, I went to public school, but I was the only blind kid at the mm-hmm. school. And I, don't, I don't recommend that. I mean, you know, we did it because that's what, you know, was in vogue and we were supposed to do. But looking back on that, I don't think it was the better way at all, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the way I had. So, mm-hmm. you know, there it meant that you either became a victim or you became an advocate on a lot of levels because mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of stuff about that 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 was workable or not workable, depending mm-hmm. on a lot of situations, you know. So you had to kind of you had to kind of figure out where you were going to fit in and what kind of role you were going to gonna sort of take and um, so so. you wouldn't recommend it because of 
So I thought it was pretty isolating. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, well, first of all, I thought it was educationally actually depriving. It was supposed mm-hmm. to be better, but it was so hard to get materials and things. And I think mm-hmm. those things are better coordinated now than they were then. But I still imagine it's pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But I think about the things that the kids get to do when they go to the School for the Blind, you know, even for just a while, you know, because mm-hmm. here they don't usually go forever unless they live in a district that it just wouldn't work very well or they have some other special needs. But, you know, they when they go, they focus on technology, they focus on um, sports, they focus on, you know, all the things that we didn't really get. And there wasn't much technology, so I don't have to worry all about right. that. But, but, you know, now there would be. And, and they focused on all those things that people needed that we really weren't getting. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, and then the social piece, you know, having, having peers. Um, we were, I think I was really fortunate because we did have, um, although I was the only um, blind student at the high school I was, I knew the ones at the other high schools around me. Okay. And we did do things together. And so I think that was nice. Um, but um, you know, I think it would have been it would have been better maybe to have had um, a resource group, mm-hmm. a little more support about certain things or whatever. I mean, yeah. it's always kind of annoying being the first mm-hmm. for everything. It's yeah. like, no, I don't need to do that. Right. So um, yeah, yeah I, I would probably do differently. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole system encourages people to do it differently now. But back in those days, that was you know, that was considered the right thing, you know, mm-hmm. so we did. Do you want any information out there for people to get in touch with you? Sure. If people do want to contact me, probably the easiest way to really ever reach me is by email. I always tell people, even when they want to talk to me on the phone, that they should send me an email and tell me they want to, because half the time I can't either can't find my phone or if I don't recognize <laughs> phone numbers, they're not getting answered. Uh-huh. But it's that world. But probably the best way to reach me via email is um, deb at lewissound.net. And Lewis Sound is all one word. It's L-E-W-I-S-S-O-U-N-D. Mm-hmm. And um, deb at lewissound.net. And, and that's really the easiest way to, to reach me. And, yeah, I'm glad to hear from anyone that wants to follow through on something I've said or has a question or that I knew from childhood and yeah. I've lost track of. <laughs> You know, you never know about these things. So, <laughs> you never know. I, I, I know try. It. Yeah. Wow. Great. Well, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that we did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Deb Lewis, for being here. And thanks to you who are listening and living your life, discovering defining moments from there to here on the Inside Track. Wow.